one size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh, it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com What in the world is happening on Wall Street? Economic indicators. Who knows where this is going to end up? To understand the economy, you have to understand human nature. How are you doing there? It is David. It is the podcast. You are really welcome. Hope you've had a good week. You know the score. We try to make economics comprehensible, less jargony, a little bit more relevant for all of us. This week has been a humdinger of a week for news, for politics, for economics. It's going to be all Brexit this week. All UK, all Brexit. I can't promise it's going to be the end of it, but it does look as if we're coming to the end game. So fingers crossed. Endgame of Brexit, that's what we're going to be talking about, as always. I'm joined by Mr. Davis. How are you, Head? How are you doing? We actually might have nothing to talk about after all this. I know, Brexit. <laughs> no, well, I'm much more interested in Colleen Rooney. <laughs> you know, Colleen Well, McCullough. that was a welcome break. Let me tell you, that was a welcome break. Uh, I just, I love that story. I, yeah. think, I think that it's just one of the great stories. But you, tell us a story about you going out with the Rooneys. Oh, it's a jam. Go it's a jam. on. I'll tell you now, about... Ten years ago, I was doing a documentary for RTE. And one of the pieces of it was, how do we engage the diaspora? Maybe it was even before all this diaspora malarkey. The idea was that Ireland has this huge, huge community outside. And this, I've always believed, is a huge economic and political power base for us that we don't use. And it came from many, remember I told you many years ago, I lived in Israel. Yeah. And the Israelis one time said to me, these Israeli business people, they said, listen, man, we're all over the world doing business. And every time we come to a deal, there's an Irish guy at the table (laughs) or an Irish American, an Irish Australian. We had actually, it was a great one. The the guy says, you Irish guys, he was an American guy, but living in Israel, you're the Jews who booze. (laughs) The Jews. I thought it was a great expression. He was saying, like, you're like fucking Jews. You're everywhere. You're everywhere. But you booze. Bacon and booze. Yeah. So I thought the Jews who booze is a great, great expression. But anyway, his point was, and it's a very serious point. This is like 25 years ago. He said, look, the community outside the country, this is the Israeli view, yeah, yeah. is actually what keeps us strong. Yeah. And he couldn't believe that as Irish people, we didn't really embrace the community outside the country and allow them feel part of our story. And he said, then they will bring their money, they'll bring their capital, they'll bring their ideas, all yeah. that sort of stuff back. And that was always in the back of my head. This is a, quite an interesting uh, notion. So I was making this documentary. It's a book I wrote years ago called The Generation Game. And it was a big part of it was about the diaspora. Yeah. And of course, this is when Orti had a few quid. 
So we were making documentaries. We went to Argentina and we went to America. It was brilliant, right? We fucking paid for that. I know. The state, man. The state was a public service. But we filmed lots of Irish Argentinians. Right. And we talked. These were all Christian brothers, were they? These were all Christian brothers, exactly. Like you, the Mark of Cain, weirdos. Anyway, and I remember we got back. You would love this. We got back to the production company and we're looking at all these things. And one thing struck us. All these Irish, Uruguayans, Argentinians, even with Australians, yeah. Americans. Somebody says, yeah, they're Irish, but they're all too good looking. Because <laughs> they're all really handsome, right? Yeah. So we don't look like that. Bit of a tan. So we said, okay, well, let's find the proper Irish community abroad. So we alighted on two cities, either Glasgow right. or Liverpool. Of course. And I said, let's go to Liverpool. I went to interview the Irish in Liverpool. And the Irish in Liverpool are all from an area called Scotty Road. Scotland, that I right, chaff. Uh, and the Scotty Road was Scotland Road, which was very part of central Liverpool, which was pure Irish for many, many, many years. Like, yeah. if you forget it, you know, Liverpool returned a home rule MP. Think about that. Right. Yeah. yeah Under yeah. Parnell's time, a home rule MP returned from the ward, the Irish ward in Liverpool. Yeah. So there were so many Irish people that they actually voted for home rule, even though they were living in England, which I think is quite <laughs> funny, right? So really? I decided to go over and find this Irish Liverpool thing. And you can find yeah. it everywhere. Like yeah. They all yeah. look like us. They all sound like us. And all the... No, they don't sound like us. <laughs> no, they don't sound like us, but they do look like <laughs> us. And I, but uh, so I said, okay, well, we've got to go to the Irish, most Irish area, which is, which is a place called Croxteth. Not Toxteth, Croxteth. Yeah. Croxteth is an Irish working class area. And we decided we'd go there and hear the stories of Irish people living in Liverpool. And of course, the most famous Irish person is Wayne Rooney. Yeah. And he was from there. Yeah. But of course, Man United had a massive, massive blanket, no media from the Rooney family. So the whole extended Rooney family could not do interviews. That was their whole... Right. So we couldn't speak to them. He should have played for Ireland, actually. Could well, you imagine? Well, I asked his dad that and he nearly boxed the head off me so that's a different story oh, right really? that was one of those questions too much right. in the middle of the fucking council house in the middle of Crocstown <laughs> I suggested well, wait a minute. but so I decided how do we get to the Irish community now you get to the Irish community in England you ask the priest you go to the local of Catholic course, church yeah, yeah, the, that that's, makes sense. that's the centre so we went to the priest and he was like Father Furlong or something <laughs> like that and he was brilliant anyway so we went we met the priest and the priest told me he'd Baptized Colleen and Wayne. They were both. They both went to a big school, the De La Salle School okay. in Croxton. So it's exact. It's it, it feels like Dublin, right? Yeah, yeah. And the priest, oh, right, I confirmed, I confirmed Wayne, and I confirmed Colleen. And Colleen's mum and dad were ministers of the Eucharist. They were first generation Paddies from Mayo. I think. So the mum and dad, so Colleen's oh, okay, mum and dad, right. they're very close. The right. Roonies are going back a couple, good few generations, except for the granny, the granny Rooney, Wayne's granny. So that was all right. And of course, we decided we, we couldn't meet them. But it was, I love this. We were, we were with the priest for about two hours. We started shooting about 10 o'clock. Right. About half 12. He goes, all right, let's go for a bevy. A <laughs> <laughs> bevy. All right. And, and I said, <laughs> I couldn't. So we went into a boozer called the Western Approaches in Croxton. It's the roughest boozer I have yeah. ever been in. And you know me, I love a rough boozer. I yeah. love going to rough booze. Roughest boozer, everything's nailed down. <laughs> Nothing can be thrown, right? Everything's nailed down. It's got a William Hill bookmakers beside it. There's grids, you know, there's, there's grids on all the windows. Yeah, on the chippy on the other And side. we go in and it's like Wednesday or something. We walk in, barman's there, and you love this, the barman, he refers to the priest as Leon, right, Leon, could have a few pints. Leon? Yeah, and I thought this is an unusual nun. 
Liverpoolian name, certainly not yeah. an Irish name. Yeah. And I said, what's with the Leon guy? Touch Ruskies about him. Nah, he said, fucking Trotsky, he's a fucking communist. <laughs> <laughs> so the barman, the barman was a member. Remember the Red Wedge, the real yeah. Dexy yeah. Hatton yeah, and yeah, all yeah, that yeah. real yeah. lefty thing. Yeah. He's like, Leon. His name isn't Leon, it's all Connor, but he's a fucking Trotskyite. <laughs> so that was grand. So we're sitting having a drink, me and the, the priest having a bevy, and cameras are rolling. So we're like, we're getting all good stuff. And then he says to me, you're in luck. Wayne's nan's down the back. And down the back was Wayne's nan. So Wayne Rooney's nan was down the back. It's 12 o'clock, half 12. Baiting into the bevies. The racing is on. She's sculling gin and bitter lemon. And we're in business. So we go down and she started referring to me and the others as, all right, you're with us. So we talked to her for ages, had a few bevies. Then the granddad came in. And do you know where they went on their honeymoon, the two of them? Bray! <laughs> oh, brilliant. In the bumper cars. In the bumper cars. So Wayne Rooney's granny and granddad went to Bray on their honeymoon. And he was in the British mer- Merchant Navy. And he was amazing. He could sing all Irish rebel songs. He was yeah. a hoot. Yeah. So we interviewed them. But the whole thing was, we were meant to stay for about an hour. We stayed for the whole afternoon. So I have the claim to fame is I went in the lush with Rain Rooney's granny. <laughs> so when I heard Colleen, and yeah. she was loving Colleen, but I tell you, it was a really nice thing. We went back to their house and it was a very, very nice thing. Tiny little council house, not so far from the boozer. And she had many grandchildren, Wayne being one of them. And there was only one photo of Wayne Rooney. And there was photos of all the... So basically all the other grandchildren were given equal billing yeah, on the wall. Yeah, yeah. And I nice. really liked yeah, that. Yeah. So we had a long chat and her name was Patricia. Fitzsimons, but the interesting, her name was Patricia. She was born on St. Patrick's Day and she used to lead the St. Patrick's Day parade in Scotland Road. That's how paddy they are. So every, so I have a real soft spot for the Roonies, you know, a real soft spot. Fantastic. The dad was a little bit rough around the edges yeah. there, in fairness. And of course, Wayne has a soft spot for grannies. <laughs> Excellent. So my week, we're going to talk Brexit. We're going to talk English nationalism, but... Really, I'm much more interested in Rebecca Vardy and Colleen Rooney. But I can understand that people who listen to the Dave McQueen's podcast do not want yeah. me talking about Jamie Vardy's missus and whether or not she leaked Instagram photos. But it's great stuff. It's Absolutely. a great story. Well, I tell you, that was, that was probably the top news item consumed here in Ireland. All week. It was fantastic. Consumed in McWilliams' house. Forget yeah. Ireland. I love all that shit. <laughs> it's brilliant. But come here, what a, what a week okay. for news. What so, a week for news. We had, apart from Vardy and, and Rooney, we had Chump and the giant impeachment. We had the Turks and the Kurds. And of course, we had Brexit. So we have a lot to talk about. But before we do, I just want to ask our listeners a couple of things. Go for it. Number one. I hope you're enjoying the the podcast, certainly as much as we are. There's a fair number of you, you know, you've actually keeping us up on the top of the podcast charts here in Ireland, but there's also loads of you around the world. We're kind of charting pretty much in every continent. So huge thank you for that. Like we really appreciate it. And it means a hell of a lot to us. The second thing is, if you have any particular topics that you'd like us to explore, give us a shout. And we'll we'll certainly delve into it. It'll be brilliant. Where can they give us a shout? On on maybe my Twitter? If people are on Twitter, would that be the best? On your Twitter, which is? So, so at DavidMCW is my Twitter account. It's probably the best way. Hopefully you are on Twitter. 
Uh, if you are, that's great. It's the best way to contact us. And you can also contact us through Patreon, which brings me to the final thing, which is we'd like to ask you for your support. Yeah, as you know, there's three of us who put this together every week and it's brilliant fun. But it does take a lot of time and a lot of effort, especially editing this fella here. You know, it's a tricky business. (laughs) And if you like the stuff that we do, we love your support. Just to cover our costs and expenses and that kind of thing. And you can support us by joining our Patreons. It's essentially a fiver a month, the price of a pint. And you can do that through patreon.com forward slash Dave McWilliams. That'd be brilliant. So on with the show, Mac. Okie dokie, Johnny boy. So yes, what happened to the Kurds? We have Trump's impeachment we could talk about, but I think that we should really talk about what's close to home, which is the phenomenal change in the background music around Brexit. Yeah, absolutely. So so tell me, what, what's happening? Okay, well, we, we don't... What do we really, know and what do we okay. not know? So we don't really know for sure, which I think is a good sign. When everybody's leaking and talking to the press and giving their top and tape, it's always a bad sign. It means that the political class don't want something to happen. So right. they leak. So now what we have is something which is shrouded in secrecy, but we can, we can kind of figure out what's going on. Our government aren't speaking. The British government aren't speaking. The European Commission, the European Parliament, the EU aren't speaking. So nobody's really spinning at the moment, which mm. is a very, very good sign. What the happened, DUP of course, aren't speaking. The DUP have been really quiet on this. Now, of course, they're going to come out in the next day or two and say, give their top and say, and it's, it's going to be they don't like what's going on. But yeah. let's just, let's look at the thing. Yeah. Monday and Tuesday were probably the worst days for Anglo-Irish relations in at least the last 30 years and British-European relations in at least the last 30 years. So, for example, the Brits came out and said, Boris Johnson spoke to Angela Merkel. Angela Merkel said, there is absolutely going to be no deal unless you figure out Northern Ireland. Yeah. The Brits, of course, leaked all this. The Germans went mad. They also leaked this paper to The Spectator, which was obviously written by Dominic Cummins, mm. saying Varadkar is mendacious and Varadkar is duplicitous and he can't be trusted. Yeah. So on Wednesday morning of last week, you were pretty assured if you woke up that Brexit was going to happen, it's going to be a no deal, and relations between Ireland and Britain and Britain and the rest of Europe were going to be at a serious, serious negative point. But but hang on, Did, didn't, like, why were the Germans going mad? Because Merkel had actually said this a month ago. Remember the 30-day 30, 30 thing? Because what the Germans don't do is they don't like people leaking conversations between the Prime Minister of the United Kingdom and the Chancellor of Germany. Right. You know, it's not the way they do business. So Wednesday, Johnson meets our friend Varadkar again in the place that Colleen Rooney had her 21st. <laughs> and back to Colleen. She had her 21st. Right. She had her 21st in that, uh, in that hotel <laughs> or manor house or whatever it was. Anyway, leave Colleen out of it, right? But I really expected them to come out stony-faced and say, we have no common ground. We cannot help each other here. There is an impasse and it's over. Yeah. And Farragher comes out and gives this extraordinary press conference that says, we can both see a pathway to a deal. That was the terminology. Interesting, Boris Johnson doesn't even do a press conference. So Boris Johnson realizes that the less said, the better. 
So it's very, very clear. They go in miles apart mm. and think about the two sticking points. One is the border on this island, the hard border. That's the main sticking yeah, point. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Obviously, Johnson has moved dramatically on this issue. Or now, nobody's. No, I don't think it's Varadkar written. That's the reason. The reason is Varadkar doesn't have to move. Yeah. Johnson has to move because Johnson's looking down the barrel at a disastrous situation, which is the following. He doesn't do a deal. He's not allowed to crash out because of the Ben Act. Yeah. He has to look for an extension. During this extension, he calls an election. He calls an election of the guy who said, I'm going to do Brexit for you. He's the guy who didn't do Brexit. The Brexit party attack him from the right in the election and he has to move dramatically to the right in order to actually get the Brexit vote. This leaves behind metropolitan England, which has always been Tory, Liberal, Democrat and Labour, but mainly Tory England. Mm. And it's the absolute disaster for Johnson. So the clock is ticking for Johnson. This is why he has to have moved. For Radker, there's no clock ticking. Yes, no deal is going to be bad for us. Yes, no deal is going to be complicated. But it's not essential for Varadkar. And you can argue that in certain areas, Varadkar's popularity has gone up simply yeah. because yeah. he has actually been hard with the Brits. So as a political animal, Varadkar doesn't need to move. As a political animal, Johnson absolutely needs to move. And obviously... Johnson, on Tuesday, realised Ireland isn't changing, Germany isn't changing, the EU isn't changing, and he said to himself, what do you want here? Do you want to be the glorious failure as a prime minister, maybe the shortest prime minister ever in the UK's history? Or do you want to be the survivor who does a deal with the EU, delivers Brexit, goes to the poll, and he will win hands down? Yeah. The Tories will win hands down if they can get this deal over the line. So ultimately, and then there's also the other added thing. that You have the 40 MPs he kicked out of the party, mm-hmm. but you also have a substantial amount of middle-of-the-road Tories who said to him last Tuesday, we will not support you if you fight an election on no deal. So he understood not only was he going to destroy part of the Tory party, but he was going to destroy all of the Tory party, and the Tory party is... It's that time of the year. Your vacation is coming up. You can already hear the beach waves, feel the warm breeze, relax, and think about work. You really, really want it all to work out while you're away. Monday.com gives you and the team that peace of mind. When all work is on one platform and everyone's in sync, things just flow. Wherever you are, tap the banner to go to monday.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. 
I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Going to end up looking like the Brexit party. And again, Johnson's own self. He's metropolitan, he's cosmopolitan, he's liberal, and he doesn't want to be the head of an English nationalist party, if he can avoid it. Yeah. So... I think, and it might come out now over the few next few days, that basically what they've done is they've done a deal on customs. And that means that they're going to put a customs border down the Irish Sea mm-hmm. and shaft the DUP or at least say to the DUP, this is the best we can get. So basically what we are, this new deal is going to be the backstop for slow learners. <laughs> it's going to be the nice. same thing more or less, right? In a bit like the SDLP deputy leader, Seamus Mallon, described the Belfast Agreement as Sunningdale for slow learners, meaning the agreement they had in 1974 is basically what they signed in 1998, and the intervening two decades were lost. So this is kind of the backstop for slow learners. So how close do you think it is to Theresa May's deal? It'll be harder than Theresa May. It'll be less Euro-friendly than Theresa May's deal. But the interesting is now, we know at the weekend, John, that the EU has given the green light for serious negotiations. This means that the EU are satisfied that the Brits are serious. This means that the proposal the Brits have put down address the border in Ireland. That's the key, right? Yeah. And then we go into what's called the tunnel. (laughs) Yeah, I've heard this phrase. (laughs) This makes me laugh. The only time I, I hear that is when footballers end up in the tunnel and start beating the shit out of each other or jumping on the ref. But that's not the case here, I hope. Well, John, I know that football is not your strong point, but your understanding... I don't know tunnel, about that now. <laughs> your understanding of the tunnel is great. I actually Googled this morning on YouTube and everyone who's listening should have a look at it. Keane versus Vieira in the tunnel in Highbury. Oh, yeah. It's amazing. Yeah. So the last, the, what freaks me out is the last time an Irish man went into a tunnel to negotiate, it was Roy Keane, <laughs> which is kind of freaky. Actually, wouldn't be a bad idea to send him in now. Roy was great. Come here, I see you in the park. I'll fucking see you in the park. And he was trying to protect Gary Neville, who said, oh, Roy, they're, gonna, they're having a go with me. But it's a great thing. So Google it. Roy and Vieira in the tunnel. But so the tunnel is a mechanism. Right. So if you think about Brexit, what has destroyed Brexit from the start are all these leaks and all these counter-leaks and information. So the tunnel is a mechanism whereby your negotiators, the EU's negotiators, anointed, and the British negotiators actually go into a sealed process. That's it's a sealed tunnel. That's why it's called the tunnel, right? Right. And they're told, get into the room. They don't even have to go back to their prime ministers and are their main uh, sponsors like the President of the European Commission. So, or hold on a sec. This is going to be this Barnier and Barclay. Barnier and Barclay and their team. Yeah. So it's nothing to do, do with us. Do we know we're, the, we're who, gone. the other guys? We're gone. Now, that's the interesting thing. So the Barnier team are the guys who studied with me. Remember I told you this oh, before? Yeah. At the yeah. College of Europe. Yeah. So I know them all. Right? So the Barnier team, I know quite well. Interesting. And they are 
as I've said before in the podcast, I think we did it in July or August. These are sticklers for detail. Yeah. Right? So they will go through line by line by line by line. The British team, under a guy called Barclay, Hmm. are probably going to be a bit looser around the edges because that's the way in which they negotiate. They have negotiated. But the interesting thing is it takes Johnson out of the equation. It takes Varadkar out of the equation. It takes Juncker out of the equation. These guys are now going to go in and their job is to get a deal. So they've been mandated. So the tunnel is this, it's almost like a sealed bid. You know the way you have sealed bids? So it's a sealed process. It has a finite time horizon. What what is the the idea? So of course, this is the crazy thing. So the idea is that you have a European summit. I think it's quite soon. Now, of course, you have to have something to go to the summit with to say, yes, we are negotiating. So during the period where there's a European summit on, these guys will be in the tunnel negotiating. And the idea would be that you will actually have a deal that will be signed by or ratified by the Europeans on the one hand and the Brits. So therefore, in order to go into the tunnel, the European Commission must be confident of two things. One is that the Brits are serious and that the proposal for a custom regulation in the Irish Sea is something they can actually execute. Right. That's the first thing, which have up until now the EU have been skeptical about the Brits' ability or willingness to do that. Mm. The second thing is that the EU must be confident that Johnson can get this through the Parliament. Well, I was going to ask you that because, you know, we have been here before with Theresa May and she spent ages doing the deal, came back and says, okay, I've got the deal. And everyone went, no, that's not for us. So why do you think this time is going to be different? So this is interesting. So obviously the Tory whips have decided, have done the numbers, and they think that A, the 40 Tories that he expelled from the party Mm -hmm. will come back into the fold, but B, that the DUP, even if they don't support this, so the 10 DUP members decide that this is a deal that has trampled on their aspirations of being British. You know, the problem is that at the core of this, the DUP have always said that Ulster is as British as Humberside or Yorkshire. Mm. It's not. No. And obviously what has happened is Johnson has realised this idea. Remember Mrs Thatcher said that Derry is as British as Finchley. It just doesn't wash. But they've obviously decided that Labour or the Lib Dems will vote with them. So they've canvassed, the Tories have canvassed that they believe that this deal can go ahead. And of course, the reason is many, many, many Labour MPs are now in constituencies that voted for Brexit. Mm. And they do not want to be on the hustings in November being accused of actually blocking Brexit. So they seem to be confident. But again, John, we've been here before. Yeah, here's a couple of things then. Do you reckon that part of this deal will be a separate referendum for Northern Ireland on the it deal? It could well be, exactly. Because that would be they're, very interesting. They're actually. talking about consent, but the problem with a referendum in Northern Ireland, John, is it becomes a referendum on Irish unity yeah. straight away. Yeah. And everyone wants to avoid that because the mistake of Brexit was that when you decide to rule by referendum, you split everybody. And I would suspect Sinn Féin might want it because they'd fancy their chances. Yeah. But they won't win it. The Irish government will refuse 
to acquiesce to it. Yeah. And the reason is, if Brexit has told us anything, it's that there's two ways of running the country on big issues. One was Brexit. The other was, do you remember in our marriage equality and our abortion referendum, mm-hmm. we had all these citizens' councils that asked the question and worried about them and again and again and again. This is, we need to create, to diffuse the North, you need to create big talking shops for ages and ages and ages, not referendum. Yeah. So I'd say the Irish government will actually refuse to accept a referendum. And what you will have is they'll get stormed up and going again and create a big talking shop up there. Right. Talk and talk and talk, because talk is better than anything else. But speaking of talk, the DUP have been incredibly silent. Why do you think that is? Is, well, is Johnson going to shaft them? I've always thought the big fear for unionist people in Northern Ireland is not us. Their big fear has been betrayed by England because that's mm. their worst nightmare. Yeah. In a way, we're their enemy, so they understand. In their heads, right? We, yeah, though we're yeah. not. In their, in their heads. So having a scrap with us is actually part of their narrative. But being betrayed by the English Conservative and Unionist Party is what they really fear. Yeah. And I suspect they're about to have that delivered upon them. And I also think what's quite interesting, John, is that this will create a massive change in unionism in the North. I think Arlene Foster will be gone by Christmas. I think there's going to be a scrap within unionism between Geoffrey Donaldson and Nigel Dodds as to who's going to take her place, which is essentially a scrap, if you want to get into the granular detail of this, between the Church of Ireland, which is mm-hmm. Geoffrey Donaldson, yeah. and the Free Presbyterian Church, which is our friend Nigel Dodds. So it's going to be a scrap for the heart and soul of unionism, and it's coming. I can really feel it. Does anybody know the difference between those two? Oh, I do, because I'm married into these tribes. I know all about them, okay? <laughs> Give us a quick well, couple of lines Church on that. Church of Ireland is like, you know, certainly in, in the South, there's a uh, Church of Ireland made in my love. Says, Church of Ireland is not a religion, it's a golf club. It's like, a, <laughs> it's like an association of like-minded people, you know? Tray bakes yeah. and good jams. And yeah. All that good, all the that Sunday good feet. shit. Yeah, it's like kind of Catholics with divorce. It's all good, right? Whereas the Free Presbyterians are extreme. Like, for example, Sean's mother's uh, from a Presbyterian family in a place called Portland Own. Yeah. There's five Presbyterian churches. The first, the second, the third, and the what? fifth. I've always said, what happened to the fourth, fuckers? <laughs> Somebody happened to the right. But, so that's extreme fundamentalism. And that's, right. that's the spirit. And then I think, for example, that uh, Paisley Jr., yeah. I think Paisley Jr. is is the Jackie Healy Ray of unionism. Yeah. I think what he's going to do... <laughs> without the cap. Without the cap, but he's going to be... He's going to he's going to break if Brexit happens. Or if Brexit happens and Northern Ireland is in this limbo, he's going to break with them. We, and, and he'll be a, a sort of a, a... A sort of unionist DNA. You know, there's like Fianna Fáil, independent DNA, Fianna Fáilers around yeah. here. He's going to be the same thing. And he'll be an independent unionist. So I think that there's a big scrap up the North for the heart and soul of unionism after this. And it's going to be... Very convulsive for them. But let's go back to economics, John. This is great for Northern Ireland economically. Yeah. Because they have one foot in the European Union. They have one foot in the UK. They're going to... The basic thing is that what we know is that economics in a normal Western country that doesn't have a capital base like we didn't have and they don't have. You've Mm. got to basically say, how do you make capital attractive? You bring it into the country. You fuse it with your labour. And if your labour isn't good enough, you get immigrant labour. You 
fuse that together, you create products, you sell them for export, they have high value added, and you can actually charge higher wages for your labor. That's how it works. And then you have a tax base, and that's what we did. If the North could see this and see beyond the bonfires and the Chucky R law and this, that, and the other, what you could see is a reasonably vibrant place. And this gives them a chance. But the DUP need to be able to see the long term. I'm not sure they will, but it does seem that Johnson himself will read them the riot act over the course of the next week. So, okay, so we have Brexit on 31st of October, and then what happens? There's going to be an election, and then going to be an election. So Johnson fights the election against Corbyn. Johnson says, I have delivered Brexit. The Tories win hands down. They're already at 36, 37% in the polls. They win. But not a Brexity Tory, a one-nation Tory. So this is the really interesting thing. In a way, this deal, if Johnson can get it, get it through, yeah. gives him the ability to be a less divisive Tory leader. They fight this on the basis of a new dispensation. Brexit is over. We're in trade negotiations. They might last a long time, but the deal is done. I think the Brits then have a choice between Corbyn and Johnson. The English, not the Brits, the yeah, English. Yeah, the, Scots, yeah. the Scottish National Party is going to win hands down. They're probably going to destroy everybody And there's there. going to be another referendum. There's going to be another referendum. So let's just mm. talk about England first. Yeah. England and Wales, I mean. Yeah. England together with Wales. Now, when the Wales and the Plaid Cymru could do quite well. I think what you have then is Johnson is able to go to metropolitan England and say the Tories are still the party of the right of centre. That means he destroys the Brexit party because Brexit's delivered, so they they disappear. Yeah, They get subsumed into the greater Tory party. And I think he wins hands down. The alternative, of course, is Corbyn, but I don't think he can win. But the interesting thing is, before we leave that, Corbyn was written off in the last election against May, and he did extremely well. Mm. So there is a significant... It's under- just a matter of choice. That's the problem in the UK. But the point is, that's England. Scotland goes. Brexit means Scotland is out of the European Union. The Scots want to be European. That is the single biggest recruiting agent for Scottish nationalism. They have a vote next year, the year after, two or three years' time, whenever the SNP decide they're going to have it. Yeah. If they win it, what I think, and I've said it before in the podcast, is what we are witnessing is the end of the United Kingdom. The United Kingdom started four or 500 years ago as a project planting leash and offaly. That's what the start was. You project your power, English power, outside of England. Yeah. It's been a project to project English power all over the world, And the flag of convenience to disguise this was Britain. And therefore, they inculcated the Irish and the Welsh and the Scots into the project. But that is a very significant project that is now beginning to unravel. It's been in a 100-year decline. It probably peaked about 150 years ago with the Victorian Empire. Maybe, Maybe about 1890, about 1900. Since then, it's been on the decline. It got a little kick in the ass here in 1916 but it was still a project. Then it's been on the decline. Then it got a a shot in the arm in the Second World War, fight them on the beaches, all that malarkey. Another shot in the arm under Mrs. Thatcher, but gradually this is a project on the decline. Mm. And now what we're seeing is it's beginning to unravel. And and all projects unravel eventually. 
And Scots will go, but then ultimately, John, I come back to our friends, the DUP. The last legacy of the British project is the unionist people in Ireland. And they will be left when the project is over with nowhere to go. And we have to figure out how we're going to live together. Thanks very much for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. Now, before we let you go, I want to give you a sneak preview of some premium content which you can access via Patreon. James O'Brien, ladies and gentlemen. When I look at the UK and I travel over there, I always remember in not the distant past, Tony Blair won three elections with more than 100-odd MPs, Mm. more or less from the centre. And when we used to think about the Tory party, it was this one-nation Tories, and they weren't a million miles away from the social democratic Mm. Tony Blair Labourites. What has happened to this constituency that up until six years ago dominated centre-left, centre-right, and delivered governments all the time? I, I think that you had a combination of two events that history teaches us will always run like a dose of salts through any liberal democracy, however secure and safe you think it might be. You had the refugee crisis caused mostly by the events in Syria, where we sat on our hands, uh, for good or for ill. And then you had the economic crisis of, of, of 2008, caused in large part by the sort of deregulation that, that came in under, under Thatcher and Reagan. And then when you've got a population that feels threatened both economically and socially, it is incredibly fertile ground for, for bad faith actors. Then you throw in the EU, which has been the mother of all scapegoats in Britain for 30 years. So no one ever tackled the truth. No one ever told the truth about the European Union. If you enjoyed that, you can hear the full episode and much more by joining us on Patreon, which is patreon.com forward slash David McWilliams. See ya. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details.